Welcome to KYH2O, a podcast about all things water in Kentucky. I'm Carmen Agaritas, an Extension Associate Professor in the Biosystems and Agricultural Engineering Department at the University of Kentucky. And I'm Amanda Gumbert, an Extension Specialist for Water Quality with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Join us as we get our feet wet exploring Kentucky's water resources. So welcome back to another episode of KYH2O. I recently caught up with Dale Booth, and Dale works with the Kentucky Division of Water in their non-point source and basin team management section. Um, And Dale is going to talk to us a little bit about watersheds. Um, And Carmen, we talk about watersheds a lot. You talk about watersheds a lot. So um, let's listen to to Dale talk a little bit about, um, first and foremost, like different types of pollution that we might see. So there are two major types of pollution that we talk about trying to control at the Division of Water. Number one is point source pollution. And that's kind of what most people think of when they think of something polluting a a body of water, like a pipe maybe coming out of a factory and discharging something into a creek. Um, We often say it's something you can point at that's a point source of pollution. When you have that type of pollution, you can actually measure how much is being put into a creek and you can regulate it. So that's point source. Now the second type that we try to take care of is non-point source pollution. And uh, that's just a fancy water scientist's way of saying runoff pollution, because it's that um, pollution that is running off the landscape when it rains and going into your water body. It's a type of pollution that it's really difficult to say, oh, that's coming from that person. We can't really attribute it to any one source and we can't really regulate it. Um, So, The best way to try and address that type of pollution is through a process we call watershed planning. So Dale spent um, some time talking about two kinds of pollution that you and I obviously deal with quite a bit, um, point source and then non-point source, but one of the things she talked about also was it being in the context of a watershed. Um, So let's take a listen to Dale about what exactly is a watershed because that's a fundamental concept for what she's going to talk about also through this podcast and that is watershed planning. So a watershed, I kind of, you can kind of think of a watershed as like being a funnel. When you look at a landscape, there are high areas and low areas. When it rains, all the water is going to flow from the high areas to a low area where it's going to collect, either in like a stream or a pond. So all that land area that drains down to a single point is considered a watershed. Everything that you do in your watershed affects that water. When it flows across the land, it's going to pick up whatever is on the land and take it down into the water that's there at the bottom of your watershed, which means that if you have, for example, a car that's leaking oil on the street, well, when it rains, that's going to run off the concrete, and the only place it can really go is down into your nearest water. And that's the water that everybody has to use for drinking, swimming, um, anything that you need water for. That's, that's our communal source. If you want to keep your water clean, you need to be aware of what's happening in your watershed. So now that we know a little bit about the forms of pollution that we might see in our water resources, and our listeners, you guys now know what a watershed is, and you know, if we again, we just think of it as any area of land where the water drains to a common location Um, and you know we start to think about and Carmen and you and I both think about this a lot is how we protect and improve water resources and so one of those ways is by watershed planning so let's hear Dale describe what a watershed plan is so a watershed plan is when you you take a look at a given watershed and you 
try to look and identify all the different sources of pollution that are inside that watershed. And that includes the point sources and the non-point sources. And you then ultimately come up with different types of best management practices that can be put in place in the watershed to try and control those sources of pollution. Watershed plans are unique really in that they are taking measures that are usually sometimes educational and um, also uh, voluntary. So these are actions that are suggested that the community would have to take in order to try and control the non-point sources of pollution within their watershed. I think one of the things that is important about a watershed plan, and Dale spends time talking about this, is that whole concept of planning. So what happens, I think a lot of times, is we see something happening on the landscape and we immediately want to take some sort of action and do something about it. But the nice thing about a watershed plan is it makes, I think, a step back and say what really is the cause of that impairment um, and then where should we be focusing on our attention? Like, which is that impairment causing more harm than this one over here? And that's one of the nice things I think about a watershed plan. And what's also interesting to me, and Dale um, talks about this, is that you don't have to be a scientific expert to work on a watershed plan. Absolutely. Let's hear Dale talk about that um, because it is really empowering to, to know that you don't have to be an expert and that anybody who has a concern about their local waterway can get involved. Watershed plans can be written by pretty much anyone. Um, in the case of the state of Kentucky, it's very often um, community groups or municipalities that recognize a problem within their watershed and come together to bring the stakeholders to the table, discuss the problem and figure out an action, action plan. You don't need any special technical expertise necessarily to write a watershed plan. Um, the Division of Water is um, usually the source of funding to write a watershed plan, and we have people within the division who will help with that process and can be um, on hand to determine what data is available and advise on how to get new data um, to help with the writing of the plan. Um, another option is there are consulting agencies that are often hired to help do the, the actual writing of the plan. Um, sometimes the consultants are specialists in that type of document, um, but it isn't necessary. There's a bunch of different um, paths that you can take to getting to a watershed plan. Amanda, you've been involved in watershed planning, specifically um, with the Cane Run watershed. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about, uh, say, if a group says, I want to develop a watershed plan, kind of what is that whole process of developing that plan? If you look on paper and you read about it in terms of the academic side of what a watershed plan is, it is a fairly straightforward process. But, however, I will say from experience, and as you mentioned in the local Cane Run watershed, um, it's not quite as straightforward. And there is a graphic that I always think about that kind of has this arrow making little loop-de-loops around. Um, but the, the common characteristics of writing watershed-based plans um, are really about, as we've said before, you, there's a problem that's identified. And then you start to dig in a little deeper, and I think the common response is, hey, let's fix that problem. But it may not be quite that simple. And so the, the steps involved are building partnerships, and Dale mentions bringing in stakeholders, and so those are folks who might have some sort of interest in the local watershed. Um, but also one of the important pieces is characterizing the watershed. So really taking a, um, a close look at you know what are the soils 
in the watershed. What are the boundaries, in fact? Let's look at a map and, and what's included in that watershed. What are the land uses? Um, you know, is there existing monitoring data? So do we have information about scientific research or data collected over time that says what the quality of the water is? in that watershed. Um, and then you start to go through this process of, um, you know, what's your goal and how do you find solutions to improving the problem that you first identified? And, um, you know, and so this was, this is what kind of what happened in the Cane Run watershed. It's been a very well studied watershed here in central Kentucky. And, um, you know, there are pollution issues, and the Cane Run is a source of uh, water for the city of Georgetown. That they use some of the water from the Cane Run watershed to treat and distribute to residents. So it's a, what we will call a source water protection issue. Um, and so the that's what makes it really important, is that people are gonna drink this water, so let's take care of it. And so there've been bacteria and nutrient issues um, in the Cane Run watershed. And so we you know, work to um, identify those goals and solutions to improve the water quality, and then went about designing an implementation program. So that's where you actually start to put things on the ground, you know, things to fix the problem. And I think most of us who are interested in natural resources and have an affinity for water quality or whatever, we see a problem and we just immediately want to jump to, let's implement a solution. And so like you mentioned, the importance of the planning process is really kind of taking a step back, looking at everything, all the parts and pieces. Um, it's kind of like taking a watch apart, right? You know, understanding how all these pieces go together to make it work. And then getting to writing it all down and moving forward with the plan. So the watershed planning process is an iterative process. It's not straightforward. You're always kind of stepping back and stepping forward. And sometimes it's frustrating. Um, but there is a reason for all those steps, and, um, and that's to make sure that you get all the players involved and you get all the information that you have, and knowing that some of that is continuous. Um, but Dale has um, some comments about what happens with watershed plans and you know, how we can move forward with getting them you know, actually put on the ground. Watershed plans, um, once they are approved by uh, the EPA and are in place, um, make it possible for communities to apply for grant funding to implement the steps that are outlined in the watershed plan. So um, if a community gets a watershed plan together and puts it on the ground, um, then they can write a grant proposal to the Division of Water saying we would like um, to fund the putting uh, fund putting in these best management practices to address these problems, and as long as it's outlined in the plan, and then we can probably pay to get it done. Dale talks about watershed plans and how you can implement them, and Mandy, I think you did a great job talking about those processes through it. But in the first place, what triggers that watershed plan? So what is that pollutant that's on the ground uh, that says, "Oh, we've got a problem. We need to address it." And Dale spent some time talking about the one that we saw a lot in Cane Run, and you see in other places as well, and that is bacteria. Uh, and really the reason it's a trigger is because of public health concerns. Uh, bacteria in streams is a very common type of non-point source pollution, which is a significant health concern for the public. 
um, which is why it's um, a priority for the state and for the federal government to get these plants in place to try and address this um, human health concern. Human sources of bacteria come from uh, malfunctioning septic systems or failing septic systems and um, sanitary sewer overflows. Um, bacteria can also come from livestock. Um, if you have cattle getting into the stream or horses to um, it's also uh, another source of bacteria can be pet waste. Um, so if you're walking your dog in the park and you're not picking up after them, then you could have their droppings being washed into the, into the waterways as well. Dale mentioned a lot of um, sources of bacteria, you know, from humans to livestock and pets. The one I think about that wasn't on that list is geese. And we see that a lot, especially um, around our lakes or in our cities where we have ponds. Um, because geese eat a lot of grass and they leave a lot of um, fecal matter behind and that fecal matter has a lot of that E. coli or bacteria in it. I think I read once, Carmen, that a goose by body weight, you know, comparatively produces more excrement than a dairy cow. And it's pretty easy to believe that if you've ever been walked around a place where there are lots of geese because it's hard to step without stepping um, in a, in a bit of geese poo. So, um, you know, it's watershed plans, like we've said, and I think our listeners are probably picking up on this, and they involve lots of pieces and parts and can take a really long time. You know, when we were working on the Cane Run watershed base plan, that was multiple years of effort, and it continues on. Um, and so um, it makes me, you know, wonder if we couldn't streamline the process a little bit and, and you know, have watershed plans that are interchangeable. Um, but Dale doesn't really um, agree with that. So let's hear Dale's explanation of why we wouldn't want to do that. I really wish that they would, but they actually happen to be very different and complicated. It seems like every watershed plan has its own challenges um, because every watershed has different land uses going on. Um, for example, we have one down in Mercer County that is mostly dominated by agriculture. Um, but when we went in there and looked around, we noticed um, when we looked at the bacteria that about half of it we could tell was coming from animals that were getting into the stream. And the other half of it was coming from human sources. So that requires different strategies to try and control. In that case, we put together um, a a project that helped to fund septic repair and replacements in one part of the watershed. And then in the other half, we worked with NRCS agents to do best management practices for cattle operations that helped keep cows out of the stream and um, prevent erosion. So there's that. But then if, if you were per perhaps in, say, the Louisville watershed area, that's largely urban. Um, their issues have a lot more to do with um, urban runoff, which comes, you know, in terms of water quantity, there's more chemicals involved, things like of that nature. Um, so it really, every time you do a watershed plan, you have to go in and actually assess everything and see all the differences and, and the solutions sometimes are gonna have to be brand new for that particular area. If you're interested in being involved in a watershed plan or you see a pollutant problem, uh, one of the best places probably to start is with your basin coordinator. So Kentucky has uh, seven river basins and each basin has a coordinator with them and those coordinators are gonna be a wealth of information and help you with that, really that first step of finding out who those stakeholders are and getting some of that background information. Yeah, they are 
honestly, fantastic resources. And I, I know a lot of our basin coordinators and worked with them. And I will say they have one of the toughest jobs that I can imagine um, here in Kentucky dealing with water resources. Uh, but let's let Dale describe um, what they do and how they approach it and um, really just um, give a, a shout of support to those river basin coordinators. So Kentucky has over 90,000 miles of streams. And um, so that's, that's a lot of water. We have a lot of water in the state of Kentucky, which is awesome. But it makes it for a really interesting management um, problem. How do you monitor all of it to see what condition it's in? And how do you um, coordinate all the different stakeholders within the state? Some, you know, there's private, private lands, there's public lands. How do you get in there and have everybody talking? So we have in the state of Kentucky broken up all of our watersheds into seven major river basins. Um, and each of those basins has a coordinator that is employed by the Division of Water in my section. And um, the job of that basin coordinator is to be a point of contact for all the people within their basin that are doing work that is related to water quality. Um, they're a source for education resources. They're a source for watershed planning. Um, they are um, tasked with trying to leverage funds and find ways for stakeholders to work together to the best benefit of water quality within the state. We're fully staffed for the first time in, in 10 years as far as the basins go, but now we have um, fresh faces in all of the basins. They are very, very committed to the mission of pro providing clean water to the citizens of the Commonwealth, and they are very excited to meet new stakeholders and new partners and get projects going. So as if you're listening to this and thinking about doing watershed planning, I encourage you to reach out to your local basin coordinator. In addition to basin coordinators, the Division of Water also has a water health portal, which is a really neat resource because you can kind of zoom in to your local uh, streams, your local rivers, lakes, and so forth, and find out how healthy are there. Is there information and data that's been collected on them? Yeah, it is one of my favorite tools to use to, to really take a look at, at a issue or area of concern. And um, so let's let Dale tell us about that. And also another opportunity, if folks are interested in becoming a um, local stream monitor. Well, there's a lot of tools available. I think the first step I would say would be call your basin coordinator. That's just step number one. If you're interested in trying to find out what specifically is happening in your stream, I would encourage you to go to the um, uh, Division of Water website and take a look at the Water Health Portal, which is a really neat tool that we put together where you can basically put in the name of your stream or your address or your GPS coordinates or your lake, and it'll zoom to that part of the map and it'll show you if we have any data on that particular stream, whether it's impaired for bacteria or sediments or any number of things, and it'll tell you if there's a problem that we know about. And if uh, there isn't any information there, then what you might consider doing is becoming a citizen sampler with our, one of our local groups of Watershed Watch in Kentucky. Um, this is a great group that teaches uh, citizens to go out and sample field chemistry parameters and also bacteria um, on stream sites that they choose, the, the citizen would choose. Um, so it would be the stream that you're interested in. You could go, ahead, go out and take samples. They provide training and equipment for free 
to go and do this sampling. And you can find out hands-on what's going on in your stream. The Division of Water has its regular sampling that it does, but as I said, we've got 90,000 miles of streams to try and cover and only so many people. So we really depend on the citizen scientist groups that are out there working with us to give us a heads up when they find a problem that we haven't gotten to yet. Even if you don't live next to a stream, even if you can't see water from your house, you live in a watershed. And that means that what you do, what you do, how you affect the ground, is gonna affect your water. So I just, I guess, be aware that it does matter if you throw a cup out your window. It does matter if your car is tuned properly. It does matter if you pick up after your pet. That's affecting you and it's affecting your neighbors. So, you know, just, just be aware you are connected to your water, whether you can see it or not. And if we want clean water, we need to do our best to be aware of that and protect it. You've been listening to Carmen Agaritas and Amanda Gumbert. Learn more about water at uky.edu forward slash BAE forward slash KYH2O. Subscribe to hear all episodes of KYH2O.